Hey gang, welcome to episode 42 of the No Proscenium podcast, your podcast about immersive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you again from the San Francisco Bay Area. This week on the show, pretty special show. We're talking with the fellows from FOMA Labs, that is Uriah Findlay and Anthony Rocco. Uh, we are talking in part about The Latitude, which is a sort of a, a secret society immersive experience uh, experiment, if you will, that was going on for uh, about a year and a half in the Bay Area. Uh, if you want to know a lot of details about the experience. There are some really great articles that have been circulating around recently. Uh, we've put some links up to those on the Twitter feed. And you know, before I put this out today, uh, I will put links on the Facebook page so you can see those articles if you want to kind of ground yourself. We start this conversation kind of uh, in the middle of things, uh, if you will. We we dive right into the big ideas and then kind of circle back into some of the concrete stuff uh, because th that is how it rolled. And that's what I found to be the most interesting, uh, the thing that I always wanted to talk to uh, Uriah about. Um, and, and, you know, we get conversational. Uh, I'm a little low energy uh, this week, so I apologize in advance. Not Not in the episode, like right now. Um, and here's how our next episode is going to go. And I just made this decision a couple of minutes before starting the show. Uh, I want next week to do one of those uh, call-in shows that we've tried before. Uh, there's a lot more of you now. Uh, how does the call-in show work? Well, you take out your phone and you record record you record a voice message and then you email that voice message to me uh at no underscore proscenium at outlook.com or you can like upload it to a google drive and then send the link invite us to share etc etc uh you get it to us that way and you ask questions and give observations or if there's a show you recently seen or just something you want to know about uh, observations from out in the field. Uh, we want to hear from you. So send that into us and I will stitch them together and make responses and share them with the rest of you. So hear me now. If you have something about immersive that you are dying to talk about, uh, if you are anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world and hearing this, uh, if you've got a show you want to promote, uh, send it to me now. Uh, I am a little tired from work and I don't have time to go book a guest for next week. So we're going to do it this way and hopefully we'll have some really interesting stuff, but this is a crowdsourced one. So it's up to you guys. All right. That's next week's episode. No news and notes right now. Uh, we're just going to dive into, uh, this. Oh, and I should say, when, when do you get that to me? Um, this is going to go up on March 25th of 2016. So you guys, if you could get stuff to me, um, by the 6 PM West coast time on Tuesday, the 29th, that's when I want to see it. All right. So you have the weekend, uh, and Monday and most of Tuesday. So not that much of an excuse to be lazy. There you go. All right. And on that note, Let's get ready for episode 41 with 
the gentleman from FOMA Labs. You're out. We're in your house. Thank you for uh, letting us be here. Anthony is here as well. And just uh, for, for those who are not initiated, and I think initiation is going to be themed today, but for those who are not initiated, uh, what, is, what is FOMA Labs? Who are you guys? Well, we are, um, I guess you would say, an, an immersive experience design firm. We are a couple of people that come from other that world, but also from other worlds, and who, gosh, we just kind of did a few projects together that uh, the projects themselves didn't necessarily go anywhere, but we ended up finding we really liked working together, and then we just decided let's keep working together and see, put ourselves out there and see, and started actively and rather aggressively hunting down clients who needed experience design work, and so here we are now doing that. So who, who, winds, up being, who winds up being the clients? Like, what, what do you guys, who do you guys wind up working for? Like, or even, like, what's the origin story, and then jump to the client, I suppose? Uh, the origin story is, well, it comes out of the end of the latitude. Um, as with any kind of beginning, there's, like, an end first. Uh, well, Uriah let, well, I don't want to tell this part, but like Uriah left before it ended officially mm -hmm. and I was still a part of it up until the end and then it ended be beginning of October 2015. We spent that month looking at each other going like, okay, we had been working on the side as well on some other design, game design, immersive experience design stuff that wasn't really getting traction. And we kind of had this moment in October looking at each other going, okay, we're kind of done doing it for other people. <laughs> Why don't we just be a thing? And we spent eight weeks or whatever it was concepting what would become FOMA Labs. Like if we designed the concept of a company, what would it be? How would it look? What would it, all the things. And then yeah. launched it January 8th of this year and yeah. very very fr very fresh very i think fresh. we kind of just said <laughs> like we like working together but chasing gigs yeah. isn't working asking for gigs isn't working yeah let's offer services mm. yeah and, and so, all of a sudden it changed and, and all of a sudden it changed and people were coming to us right and in the same way that there is an underground as well as a more above ground entertainment side to immersive theater, immersive design, experiential design, I'm going to use all these words interchangeably, there is now that growing trend of realizing that this is the trend and clients, businesses, uh, marketing, what have you, are all turning and going, how do we use that thing to do whatever, fill in the blank, impress our mm -hmm. employees impress whatever conference clients, client yeah. other clients other partners uh pr thing you know like what what fill in the blank whatever they're trying to figure out how to use it and that's where we come in yeah and it's often it feels like from this side the challenge is how to get us weirdo artists doing you know that have worked on everything from things like the latitude which were very underground but uh had legitimacy to you know, like, quasi-illegal <laughs> art party events right. and move into this more corporate space in a digestible way. Yeah. In a way yeah. that we don't freak them out, but yeah. we push them a little to the edge 
they're happy, we have fun, we are, we're very big on still wanting to do work that has creative legitimacy. Yeah. Like, we want to be excited about what working out. We're not, we want to, we wanted to turn into business, but we didn't want to sell out per se. We really wanted to be like, no, this is what we bring. Yeah. And we'll bend for whatever we're doing as needed, but we're still going to do something with some integrity. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's, this is something, I don't think it made it into the last podcast where, where Albert and I were talking, We and recording that just two nights ago, I think afterwards, we were talking, uh, and, and I was talking about the idea that there's, there's kind of an ethos to this work, into, the, into this world. We were definitely in the podcast talking about sort of that part of the, the thing in any kind of immersive is you wind up making, you're either playing with the social contract or you're even making the social contract explicit. Yes. And it's not something that we tend to think about in our day-to-day lives. Right. And we come up against these sort of like hard, the invisible hard walls of our reality are when we slam our faces into the social contract that we didn't even know was there. Yes. Sure. And and that's something that by just the act of making people aware that there is one and playing with it and that it could be changed to recontextualize things is almost itself a radical act. Yeah, and I think we feel that you must, like this kind of touches on the consent idea yeah. that we're always talking about and pushing, which is like, we come more. We're more thinking about design than than maybe even art. Right. I don't. I, I. You know. We, yeah. we we sometimes differ from opinion on that. But basically, like art, you know, you can put art out there sometimes, and it's gonna like freak people out, and it's gonna like, I don't know. Sometimes it hurts people. Like that can be done, and that's sometimes what the art is supposed to do. But we're coming from a design perspective where we're like, well, what we really want is people to get something out of it. So if you're gonna from our point of view, if you're going to break or reconfigure the normal social contract, you've got to be really upfront mm. in some way, really consensual about how that, because that's, again, in being digestible, that's how you get normal people, quote unquote, <laughs> normal people, to be able to take part in these things because we want them to. We want to spread this. We don't want it just to be something that exists on the underground. We want this to push out into the... the quote-unquote normal world this actually is a thing that we've had a conversation with several people about uh colleagues as well as kind of outside of it and part of i i feel like the reason we're such advocates of this is because of the increased empathy that we had as a learning experience through the latitude mm -hmm. um it's something that's very difficult to understand unless you've experienced it. A lot of people, I come from a very traditional film background. I went to film school. I wanted to make edgy movies. I want, you know, and, and my classmates wanted to make stuff that shocked you and, you know, threw, twisted you, twisted your mind and all this stuff. And a movie is a passive experience. And you can really have, even on that level, things that you go, whoa, that affected me in a, in a deep and profound way. Um, it wasn't until the Latitude Project and an experience of a person-to-person -person basis of people having serious emotional confrontations with their self and even people who trusted us as friends or were in other, you know, serious, deep, underground, weirdo groups that were having these sort of real emotional moments that I wouldn't even necessarily call breakthroughs. Like sometimes it would just hit a wall and it's like, it's not going to move there today. Um, and 
that for me really made me realize, oh, this is a really powerful medium. Mm. And to just go, oh, I just want to like freak people out or get them angry or get them upset or, or get them across. Like you can totally do that really, really easily. Right. But the question is like, why? Yeah. And, and, and that for us is where we kind of go back to the design standpoint of what's the, what's the use of this design? Yeah. What's the use? Are they on board? Did they consent? Did they consent to have that kind of experience? We have responsibility. This is this has come up a lot for me lately in some of the theater pieces I've seen, uh, and some of it's contextual, right? Like if I go into uh, an extreme haunt, um, it, you know, I can expect certain things. Yes, yes. and I know, and I know what I know about myself. Uh, the 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 blackout guys, they they hit L.A. or they they've reestablished themselves in L.A. Uh, and they, they had a, a piece that they were going to get ready to do. Apparently, like, the last second, it, it fell apart. Uh, but they were talking to me, uh, messaging me, and they're like, oh, you know, we, you know, we want you to come, we want you to come, we want you to come. And I'm like, that's not my jam. <laughs> I know I know it's not, not because I, like, freak out or, like, I'm actually scared. Like, they're going to waterboard me. Because if something like that is, I've had to be like, safe word, I'm done. You know, like, that's fine. It's more that when I'm in one of those scenarios, and I didn't know till I went to one that was sort of that way, my fight instinct activates mm. as opposed to my flight instinct. Right. And so I spend the entire time just sort of keeping my arms yeah. pinned at my side so I don't hurt this poor actor. Right? Yeah. So like I'm not I'm not yeah. I'm just I'm and I'm not there. Yeah. I'm not there. And right. so then so but that's that. And I know I know that oh if I go to an extreme haunt, they're gonna manhandle me and yeah. like that's what and I have friends, they are super into that. Yeah. If yeah. I go to a theater piece though, and I don't know that it that it wants to be that or play with that kind of energy uh, I might be really taken aback, or like I might bring a friend, and the actors might be getting super into someone's face when, mm-hmm. and it gets back to what you were talking about, like oh, I want to unsettle someone, yeah, yeah. but it's like, but why? And like you didn't tell me that I was going right. in, and it's, and it's not like oh, everything's got to have a trigger warning. It's like yeah. no, I want to be, I either want to be prepared. Or if you're going to do this sort of thing, I want you to signal somehow that you're going to bring me into that kind of world. And the difference between the, the I'm going to get you and the I'm going to offer you my hand and bring you in and, and just getting someone just like that initial yes. Or know? I'm going to make you laugh. Like it's the same yeah. thing where like if you watched all the advertising for a movie and the posters and everything led you to believe it was a rom-com <laughs> or a children's movie and yeah. you took a child and it turned out they thought it'd be really funny to present as a children's movie and turn out to be a horror movie, yeah. you'd be like, that's not cool. But for some reason, mm-hmm. a lot of people in this scene seem to yeah. think that's... The bait and switch is, the totally, bait and switch is, is totally, totally okay. Yeah, and we yeah. furthermore, we just think, like, it's cheap. If you have to do that to shock someone... Yeah. It's cheap. It's the difference between, you know, again, like, affecting somebody psychologically in a jump scare. Yeah. You can do a jump scare, yeah. and it works, but it works on almost anyone. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what the costume is. Right. Uh, it's much better to actually be able, which, we, which the Latitude was an attempt at, to go, this is going to be challenging. Right. Someone you trust is asking you, are you up to the challenge? And have them say Yes. And then have them go and find a challenge. And then still decide, I want to continue or not. Because if you do, when they do, they still got a challenge. And still got to break. Like, people did have breakthroughs. There's people who had panic attacks who 
or who got on the edge of them and pushed through on that edge and walked through and said thank you. Mm. Yeah. And that's like you don't have to you don't have to lie. Yeah. For that to happen. And and, and the and the other <laughs> thing that I that this rem- this conversation reminds me of and it's been coming up uh, in the community was I recently did a thing with the community here in San Francisco, um, which a lot of it are they're go getters, right? It's like it's the it's the sort of thing of they're the they're the people who are like banging down the doors and want the immediate interaction and they're gonna get all that stuff. And they did a thing where it was pretty much twenty of these. There was about 10 of us who were doing a thing for about a group of 20. Um, and about two of the people in the group of 20 had never done anything like this before. And mm-hmm. the rest of them were like, you know, veterans. Like yeah. They got their stripes. They're like good to go. And in the post-experience breakdown, like there, were, there was going to be this like kind of Q&A that was led between the creators and the participants. And we're all friends. And it's a community. And that one person who, one of the two people who had never done this was about to say something and completely like broke down and started crying in this like small group Q&A thing, right? And is just like, couldn't even get their voice back. And I watched it and I was on the side of the kind of creators thing and, and one of the, the, the people leading it, uh, the main kind of host, did an amazing job of like kind of being there, attentive, can I get you anything, you know, validating their emotions and, and whatnot. Um, but it was this sort of thing of, I saw how easy it is for us to lose our beginner's eyes mm. and immediately forget the first time that we had an immersive experience where like it was really emotionally affecting. Yeah. Uh, and as designers and as creators on that, like we then kind of go toward the, I call it sort of the, the, the junkie, right? We want more and intense and da 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 da. And especially when we're designing for our friends and in the community, it gets really intense. <laughs> yeah. And part of like, as we work for clients and stuff like that, and people who've never done anything like this, the, the main thing we focus on in a design point of view is how do we make this accessible for someone who's never done anything like this yeah. before? Yeah. Um, Cause that beginner's eyes is tough. You Some, forget. Sometimes who's not even here to do something right. like this. It's just going to happen to be here. How do we get that person yeah. to want to take part in? And you know, we we're used not to talk about those people in terms of, uh, we talk about the recalitrant, mm-hmm. you know, like the people who are, you know, not really wanting to, to, to do it. Um, uh, yeah, we would we would have these dinner parties where we were sitting around trying to figure out how to design things or, or talking with people who had, and and the idea of the recalitrant person would come up. It's like, what do we do with a f- person who's like, even if they might be the date or the spouse yeah. of the person who's like mm-hmm. totally down, and right. this other person's like, I just like books, <laughs> and and sitting at the yeah. edge of parties. Yeah. Well, yeah, imagine if you took somebody who had never seen a film and showed them a David Lynch film. <laughs> right? it, would really, it would really disturb you. It would be weeks. hard to follow. They yeah. wouldn't right. understand. Yeah. You, you right. show them The Wizard of Oz, you get them to understand the medium of film, and then right. if they want to try a David Lynch film, right on. Right. Well, we think, about, we think about the really successful immersive theater projects that, that are running forever you, you are Sleep No More's and are mm-hmm. Then She Fells. Yep. Then She Fells about to have its 2000th performance. Yep. Sleep No More's been running for freaking right. ever. And both of them are rooted in stories that everyone knows yes. roughly the outline yes. of Touchstone. Right, yeah. Yes, right? exactly. 
you know, something it's like I, I can I can at least start to figure out what the hell is going on here. Uh, I can find something kind of familiar and 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 pull through that. But let's let's what I love about what we just did is it feels almost like we started in media race. Um, sure. Medius race. I always get that wrong. I got it wrong when I was a kid, and I've held on to it forever. It's Medius race. <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's 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 roll back a little bit because we've mentioned the latitude a couple of times uh-huh. without going like fully because like I don't even fully understand it because I didn't get to do any part of it, and I'd, I'd like to talk about it in con- in uh, the context also of uh, of the Jejun Institute, which is something I did get to do parts of, uh, and are 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 both had this element of. Um, an automated, or at least a semi-automated space mm-hmm. that was itself a tool for initiation into a larger story universe. So, and I, and really, at the end of the day, that's that's the thing that I came here to sort of get your take on is like you you've been building the tools to initiate people into these alternate immersive realities for years now. And I'm kind of wondering if we can we can get a little window into the the thought process that gets there. I think we've I think we've come at it from the other way, which is yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. thing you've discovered about you know, and, and you got to focus on like how do we how do we bring mm-hmm. the people in? How do we get them to consent? Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, how how flip that around and like what's what what were the shape of these things that were bringing up these questions for you? Well, okay, so I go back to. The early Jejun Institute, my first gig with Nonchalance was building the interactive AV system that ran the room. Yeah. So, and that's, I was with Nonchalance from then, from the launch of that all the way up till just about a year ago. And um, the initial idea, like, I have to actually give credit to Jeff, the initial idea was Jeff's. Um, his notion, which I got on board with, was seeing street art, seeing things in the world, and wishing they led somewhere more meaningful and more intricate. And that's where that kind of came from. And before we knew it, like, we were effectively building an ARG, even though we actually hadn't played ARGs, didn't entirely know what an ARG was. There weren't that many either. Surely didn't yeah. know how an, how the ARG community acted and was going to act <laughs> for a little wallop. No one, no one did. I mean, we all, those who are initiated into ARG world know the story mm-hmm. of, like, the first one, you know, they, they broke it within, like, a day and, like... Then they were just running, running, running. Yes. And, and pretty much have been running ever since. Like, I don't think they've ever stopped. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up doing that, and um, that was amazing. And it was like we kept adding content. We kept doing it. And what ended up, I think, like, what ended up happening from that was a real community arose. A real alternate reality arose. Mm. If that makes any sense, there's... I mean, there is, which Anthony's involved with, which I, is kind of his gateway into all of this. Yeah, I can speak to that. Yeah, the Elsewhere Philatelic Society. Which, which still exists. Still exists. Is having a stamp window this Saturday at the typewriter uh, <laughs> spot in Oakland. I forget what it's called, but yeah. Yeah, they. It's, it is uh, puzzle hunts and stories and characters that exist within that universe. Created by fans and friends and has been operating longer than that thing even was. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's what. That's, that's one of my favorite, favorite things. Yeah, it's like favorite the thing. EPS has lived longer than the Jejun Institute yeah. did. And lives to this very right. day. If you want to play the Jejun <laughs> Institute, you can watch the Institute on, you know, whatever <laughs> video streaming thing you have. 
and then go to stampsfromelsewhere.com <laughs> and go do the passport application fee go uh, uh, test, go do the uh, Berkeley mail carrier training, and then show up at a stamp window, and I'll be there in uniform. <laughs> yeah, and it still happens. So that's it's like still, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that happened when we went back, basically when we wrapped that up, Jeff and I went back to the table and said, okay, what's next? And one of the things, one of the primary ideas of Latitude was, well, a community organization, community of people, cadre of sorts formed around that, and that was entirely unintentional. What if it was intentional? Yeah. What if it was the core of the story and the idea? Mm. And then we got on the society tip, and and it's funny because it sort of like ended up more like, we didn't mean to create a community, and then we created a real fake community. And then we decided to try to make a real fake community, and we ended up actually making a real community yeah. that, that was more... It was... So if you go and then now try to make a real community, will you create a meta community? No. It's like, it seems <laughs> well, to be scaling up each time. Right? Well, well, it's so funny because we backed off. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> well, the the joke we always say is you got to be really careful about your intentions. If your intentions are to make a secret society, well, the project succeeded because there is now a secret society, and you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. There, there is now a secret society. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, it's sort of the old warning to occultists. You know, like you know, be careful, be careful mm -hmm. what powers you invoke and what yeah. you wish for. Yeah, and it's not it's not a bad thing, but it's it's uh. It's un it's it would have been hard to predict how much energy and care that it required. Because mm. again, we started from super cool automated installation, initiation into live events and things like that. And really like the community, the governance of it, the running of it, the events, that was what ended up being way more work. Yeah. Like that's what ended up being both from the day-to-day -day production standpoint, and honestly, the like heart energy emotional standpoint. Yep. Like it started like, oh, we've got a whole lot of people with a whole lot of heart here mm -hmm. that care a whole lot about what we're doing, how they're treated, what they create, what we create. This is a lot of energy to right. do. So that's what that's kind of what it became. Was like you know, yeah. What, do, oh, sorry. I, Go. What I'm interested in, in, in what you're just saying, the what what do you think if you had to guess at something being the hook, or in in the way you set these things up, is is there something in the way that the design of the initiation into that into this, these worlds created that that either that desire or the space for it? Because I gotta I think on one level. If you're the kind of person who's going to be able to be hooked into this, you're the kind of person who's looking for something like this, and you find this. I remember my own experience of Jejun. The, the funny thing about that was I didn't do it until I lived in L.A. and came back. But I was peripherally aware of it. I would see the, the bill posters around, and I was like, someone's doing something freaking strange, and I don't <laughs> know what it was. And then someone said, oh, there's a room. And I was like, I guess I'll come do the room like when I come back. And I did. And then you start to see, like, oh, all right, there's, 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 um, there's just enough space in here for my imagination to, to run wild. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, one, am I right on that? And two, how do you make enough space to let someone's imagination run wild? 
That is the challenge. The, uh, yeah. Well, it goes back to Dieter Rams's. Yep. The best design is a little is is, is as is little design, design as possible. possible. Um, I think we learned that with the Jejun Institute when we made an office that was gave the impression of a secret society pseudo psychological cult. People loved it, and then we did like a long five hour whole day theatrical immersive experience that was that thing embodied, and people didn't. Mm. Cause and I really think it's because they had filled in every person had filled in all the blanks yeah. of the best they thought it could be and they wanted it to be, but it's sort of like I, I liken it often to the last episode of beloved television shows. Yeah, half the fan base usually hates them yeah. because it's like they you can't not everyone can get the resolution they want. of the mystery yeah. that they were holding in their mind. That is not as good as what they were holding in their mind. Or, or the big example is, you know, we finally got Star Wars prequels, and they were terrible. terrible. And yes. we had spent twenty years dreaming what's a Clone War, and like people had dreamt from childhood. Yeah, we imagined the majesty of the Clone Wars, and we got Attack of the Clones. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we felt even angrier because it had not only been disappointing. It had shattered the notion we had in our mind of what had happened. And yeah. I think that that's like when you got the Jejun Institute, just the room, you got to create this world in your mind. But when it happened in front of you live, if it wasn't the world you'd created in your mind, that was shattered now. The way that Octavio Coleman would act in person, if it wasn't the way you expected, we shattered it because he showed up. So, there's, there's something to, I always, uh, I use the term lacuna, which means like a hole in, in your memory. Mm. Um, and I always use that to describe things because like people would, I, I'd break down like why that, uh, the Joss Whedon show Firefly like has such intense fans when there's sure. so, there's so few episodes because there's, there's all this information that's not there. There's these lacunas that you can like pour your your hopes and your dreams and your imagination into. Yeah. And and the sort of the genius of of world building um, is you know, designing the lacunas. Like how do you, how do we create the little pool that people can the watering hole people can come around to exchange their rumors and and their their ideas about. Yeah. Is is that. Is that the way when when you came back around and, and it was time to build the, the the second physical experience when you're building the experience for uh, the latitude? Were those sort of the the thoughts and the lessons that were coming in, or, or were you you kind of because the way the room has been described, it almost sounds like this like accelerated. It feels it feels like a, a, a I mean, I've only heard it described or like read descriptions of it. Emotionally, it sounds like it's this. It's like a. a hyperspace launch tube mm. that like you're going through these things and like you you have like a series of little experiences happen and you have like the core and then boom now you're now you're on the other side of this you've been initiated you've been given your your uh your your marching orders as it were well i think that that for the latitude it was once you come out the other side the community is writing the story Mm. So it's sort of like the there was this secret society and they did these things and they go back uh, uh, an ambiguous amount of long time ago and and then here they are. Mm -hmm. 
and now you're a part of it. And what are the events you do? What is, how do people act? Like, it's like you are now living as part of it. Mm. And so I think the lacuna there was deliberately left to actually manifest in the real world. That was the reality of it. Mm. As you've started to have clients come to you guys, mm -hmm. how do you how do you digest this stuff? How do you break it down? How do you bring some of this mojo to to what people are are, are looking for you to create? And do they even know necessarily what it is they want you to do when they show up? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's the classic. How do you explain this to someone? It's how do you describe salt? You start with, have you gone to sleep no more? You know, you, yeah. get, you, get, you get a base read on people. It's, yeah. it's, it's what type of conversation are we going to have about movies? Have you ever seen a Godard film? Or, okay, let, let, let me get some bearing on like where you are with this thing. Yeah. Um, and then we go from there. Uh, we've Sometimes been... it's like, did you do the latitude? Yeah. Did you do the latitude? Yes. No? Yes. Okay. okay. Have you seen Amelie? Have you seen the game? <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool. Let's okay, take cool. that and then let's pick that apart. Right. And oftentimes it's much like much smaller scale. Like yeah. like our client um our client we did for the RSA, the security conference trade show mixer right. party, was had come to another game designer in the area, um Rebecca Power, Quixote Games, the mm -hmm. racket, um, and basically said, Can you make a game? And she said, Well, not really, because I kind of made my game. I run my game. Yeah. These guys made games, so they came to us, and I guess the CEO of the company and one of the one of our contacts had done the latitude. Yeah. Um, and obviously they were looking for something smaller, but they trusted our ability to design, experience, game, intrigue, and really for them it was like we have a mixer. They, I think it was partly like they wanted some icebreakery material. They mm. wanted something, a, a shared experience for people to laugh over and discuss over. And the other was that I think they also just wanted to be able to brag their event had something like this at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And take um, photos of it and things like that. We've been really blessed also with people coming or getting referrals through the latitude. And so yeah. there's a baseline understanding of like, this is kind of where these guys come from. I can kind of speak to the experience with the with the like app game that we designed. They came to us with with having done the latitude going I I not only want game designers, I want weirdos from San Francisco who know how to create community and put that sort of thing together. And so in designing game that's you know it it's been it's been things like that. So we've been blessed in that way. Well, and in the in the immersive slash, you know, I'll say marketing and viral stuff, like, the age of, like, easy viral marketing is pretty much over. Yeah. yeah. We see it coming, and generally communities don't appreciate being pandered to in that way. Yeah. So when people come to us, they're looking for something more meaningful. They're looking for something that is legit, that even if you spot it as an additional sizzle factor, it's still enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to the idea of whatever the thing is, it should itself have an inherent value to oh, it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? Like, I don't just... And, I mean, I don't know. For some reason, I just thought of... Uh, I just thought of freaking Star Wars toys. Probably because I'm always thinking about Star Wars toys. And, like... <laughs> and, and you know, the, the, that's the basis of the financial empire there. But those things had an, a, a value to them in and of themselves in terms of, like, the ability to play with them. Yes. We were you just know? talking about this with, like, Portal. Yes. And Arbiter Laboratories. And mm. the fact that... When you world build correctly, merchandising is not a, a, a bad sin or something like that. It actually augments the experience of yeah. participating in the world building. People love to rock their Arbiter Laboratories t-shirts. They love it. It's a mark of like yeah. something that's proud. Like Or even like, oh gosh, when I saw somebody in a Venture Brothers League of Calamitous Intent shirt, I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. From a branding perspective, that's merchandising. Yeah, yeah. that's merchandising. You know, we know, and we're yeah. smart enough in this modern world to know that's merchandising. Yeah. Right. But I love those guys. They are legit. Yeah. And if oftentimes it's, I want to support them, and I even remember like when a lot of early people in the Latitude, when the first, because the difference from Latitude was there was paid experience. And, and that was, was a and big change. And there was merch. And I remember some of our older fans from the Jejun Institute like, telling me verbatim, like, yeah, I went through and I bought invitations and I bought merch, and as far as I was concerned, I was paying you guys back yeah. for the three-year game you had yeah. let me yeah. play yeah. for free. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I went through and bought that because I want you guys to survive because I want this. Like, he was, this was a person who was, like, you know, at the time looking forward to the day when his kids were old enough to be brought through. Yeah. Right. Um... So, I mean, when it comes to branding, if there's no, if that's like a demonstration of like brand loyalty, like it's a guy who, I, you know, still t tells the fable to his kids right. as a bedtime story. Right. But it all boils down <laughs> to just intention and consideration. Yeah. If, if you're just making a piece of crap so that you can turn it into a toy or, or vice versa, it, it, it it gets communicated in the thing. But yeah. if it's but if the world building is is intentional and it's awesome and it's done with care and love, then the thing itself is also awesome and yeah. you know, and you can have space balls with flamethrower and it's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I can I can think back to like when I was a kid and like when Willow came out and before uh, the movie came yeah. out like walking into the Kmart or something and seeing all the toys and the toys were crap, but like going like this is a bad sign. And now every time you walk into a toy store before a movie comes out, yeah. all the toys are there. And I, and I knew even then when I was a kid, I was like the Star Wars toys weren't on the shelves until after the Christmas of that year because they didn't expect it. Yeah, it's like they didn't know they made the yeah. thing yeah. and then people just wanted it, wanted because it, it's it's Arguably, like religion. the movie studio screwed up by giving Lucas all the merchandising rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they completely did right. Yeah. And that's that's how I was able to like finance everything mm -hmm. past that point. Yeah. But it's if it hadn't had if everything hadn't been you know left on the screen that first time if ev you know it's like this like this is our one shot if they hadn't done that none of the rest of the stuff would would yeah. be here yeah, yeah. and you know sure. the movie that just happened in December wouldn't have happened and and there's something to this idea wh when you're 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 making this stuff of sort of you know what is the intention and working with sort of like. The, 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 the deep powers, the, mm -hmm. the, the archetypes and these psychological experiences, like mm -hmm. how are we how are we going to um, bring people into this world? And once mm -hmm. you've once you've initiated people into this sort of stuff, they do just kind of like pop and come alive. The example of that being done poorly 
that was really most recent for me was an experience last January. Um, and there's all sorts of reasons, whatever. But basically, it's the drink your Ovaltine thing. And this is the mm, biggest yeah. immersive design rule I go back to. Like, you can have branded experiences that say, like, this is by blank brand, and it still be awesome and not be drink your Ovaltine. Yeah. But there was this one that we did back in January, and it was this sort of thing of, like, after this two hours of awesome, blah, 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 it spits you out, and the first thing you see are portable cash machines that say ATM, like in like neon, and then a big sign that says like "Buy tickets for your friends," and you're just kind of like, yeah, like like there was this weird sort of like it broke all the magic, and I'm mm. totally down to like <laughs> buy tickets for my friends and like do the thing, but when it when the stylistically it just kind of. It felt, and, and then you, and there was like a bar right there where you could buy drinks, and I know you're making money off the bar, but it just like, it broke the whole thing, especially when the message of the whole thing was like, we're not going to be held down by consumerism or whatever, you know, like all the messages, and then the next thing that you do <laughs> is ATM buy tickets, you know, it's oh just a goodness. really weird yeah. design choice. Yeah, that comes to honesty, <laughs> and we've learned that like, Again, with the toys, I mean, like, this little bug here is kind of a toy that went out at our last experience. It was, like, the end when you ordered a special drink. You got one of those. If you flip the switch, it'll make some noise, but... Um, on top. On oh, this... Oh, oh! Yeah, and he, like, bounces around. <laughs> little buggies. Oh, wow! <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's nothing mind-blowing, but the thing is that the people who had gotten that far and got it were super proud of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because it was tied to this experience. So it wasn't about... a item gimmick this was represent like the guy who said like i was really excited to bring it home and show it to my kids it's a magical fetish yeah yes. it's 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 a little yes. bit of this fantasy world. it's like uh, it's like kids with lightsabers you yeah. know it's like oh this is this is yep. the thing this is the thing you yeah. know like i i must i must have it i yes, mean that and is how children feel about lightsabers only children only children, only children. <laughs> never adults never adults only the children yeah. feel this way um but there's uh i mean I mean, look, you know, there's a, there's kind of a religious aspect to this. Like, you, you, you look about it, look at it the right way. The Catholic Church is the first successful transmedia immersive, uh, you know, merchandising brand. It's like, please sure. buy all your saints and rosaries. And, and, our, it, our, and our, it was taking its model off of things that had sort of kind of worked before that. Exactly. <laughs> this yeah. is what we're Like, yeah. I always joke because people are like, "Oh, this is a new thing." I'm like, "This is nothing new, people. <laughs> we're doing really simple stuff." Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're just we're just stealing stuff from religions, and yeah. and there's a sense where it's like you know like you know the the, the psychoanalysis part of yeah. it, the part of it where it's like people coming and having emotional breakthroughs. Sure. People do that in churches, yes. like they'll break down and cry in churches. Yes, like and it's it's acceptable for for people to do that in that. There there is this cult dimension to it. Oh yeah. Um, and then so then let's and let's maybe fold back that way, and and what you guys are struggling with what we were talking at the beginning, this idea of consent. So, like, right. what have you found in terms of how do you get people to... to right. Cons to, is the consent plastic? Is it, it... Well, okay, so... Break this down first. Yeah, so there's... I mean, there's a couple different versions of this, and it depends upon the level of immersion, the type of immersion, and, you know, all that. Um, if... 
like we talk about this in the design thing, if there is like an actor in character and there is hard content that's going to come up, we feel you should in some way give people some sort of cautionary thing that says, hey, just like going into a movie, hey, this is rated R for scenes of this, this, and this, just so you know. Mm -hmm. uh, we feel very strongly about that. It's not a censorship thing. You can still do whatever bizarre thing that you want if you want to, like, bite doves' heads off and, like, have sex with, like, multiple people. Like, do it. Just tell people animals are going to die and there's going to be real doves sex. Heads yeah. off. Don't bite doves' heads off. Don't do that. Don't okay. actually even... Yeah. But, but I'm Unless not... You're Aussie. I, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not for censorship. I'm for, like, yeah. yeah, do the thing, but, like, tell people that you're going to do it. Well... Sleep No More is a great example. Yeah. Sleep No More does some edgy stuff in their theater. I remember being in there being like, oh, wow, I can't believe they, they, you know, and it's not like, oh, they shocked me, but like, oh, yeah, she's buck naked and dripping in a room full of people, and she looks terrified. Before you go in, they tell you, you wear these masks, you don't talk, no pictures, and these people in black masks, if you want out, you talk to them. Yeah. So you know going in, if I need to get out of here, I know exactly how to do it. Yeah. That's consent Yeah, to stay there. That's yeah. me saying, by not pulling the abort, it's a safe word. By yeah. me not yeah. saying the safe word, I'm saying, make me feel nervous. Go ahead and make me feel a little nervous. Put me a little edgy, because I know I can bail out. You know, we sometimes we talk about agency when it comes to the immersive theater experiences and how much agency we give to the audience. Yep. And and maybe one way one one cognate here is whatever. Yeah, I blew that, but who cares? Um, consent is the core agency yep. mm -hmm. that you must give the audience yep. yes. in order for the experience to be legitimate. Yeah. Legitimacy it, well, is the strongest design, always. We also yeah. forget, as designers of these things, that watching a movie, there's already a built-in consent mechanism that's invisible. It's, I can press pause. I can turn it off. I can get up and walk out of the theater, which I've only done a few times in my life, and they're for really bad movies, but I got up <laughs> and walked out. Yeah. That's like a level of invisible consent that we forget about, Whereas when you're in a room and there's so much of the psychological thing of there's a bunch of people in here, I was brought here with my friends, maybe I shouldn't leave because they're all into this. Should I be into this? I don't know if I'm really into it. And it just spirals from there, right? Yeah. You get into like an emotional thing that you didn't know was even like a problem and then there's a problem. Um, so that's a, that's a really big thing for us. Um, yeah. from, from, this, from the get-go, from the invitation to do this thing to the artist saying kind of a little bit of what the content's going to be to the thing. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, like uh, with a praxis, so in the latitude, you would have an immersive experience that was for you and you alone, and similar to that edge of, okay, there's like, I'm, stuff's coming up. And then there would be a praxis, which was a... A workshop of any kind. 12 people in a room playing a game, exploring a subject. It could be a talky talk. It could just be a round table. It could be improv sessions. I led a lot and designed a few ones and then also just drew from like old, you know, like I'm going to do improv tonight. We're going to do improv. And, you know, just get people out of their yeah. skins and, and playing with each other and engaging in community. 
Um, but one of the primarily ones that we designed, uh, me, my girlfriend Danielle, and um, David, uh, is called Mission Permission. And the design purpose of it was to get people to really feel connected to each other. But to do that, there are about five activities that you don't get to know about beforehand. But we tell you, like, if at any point one of these activities is, like, too much for you, you can opt out, you don't have to do it, but trust us on this journey, and we're going to, like, and, and by the second activity, people have pretty much gone, like, okay, they're not going to, like, you know, throw some really weird thing in here that's right. going to, like, freak us out. But every time people always ask us, and we still run this thing, mm -hmm. tomorrow night, we run it once a month if you want to come, tomorrow night's uh, the thing. I'm going to plug it right now. Um, <laughs> if people still want a, a, an actual Latitude Praxis, Mission Permission is one of the last ones that sort of still exists. Um, and it's designed to kind of take you to places. And it does so in a way that I feel like it's classic, we kind of draw on like team building skill facilitation stuff of like, you got to read a room. At some point during the second activity, I can usually read like everyone's on board. Mm. And, and I can take them pretty much anywhere. And there's also a, a facilitator trust of, I'm not going to take them someplace they don't really want to go. Yeah, I'm going to take them to their edge and it's going to be a little mm. edgy, but that's about it. There's a critical thing there when you said, you know, the the facilitator, you, you got to read, got to read a room. Yeah. What's interesting, always to me as a participant in, whether it was in the jejun or when I came out of Then She Fell, you start to become hyper aware of your surroundings and the behaviors of other people, and yeah. it's very much like you know an actor being aware of what his partners or her partners are doing on the stage, um, which I had missed and and, and loved. And and that's the thing is like we spend most of our lives, I feel, kind of going around and trying to ignore a lot of the information that's coming sure. at us because there's just too much goddamn information, a lot. particularly coming off of other people. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting about this practice, whether it's in the form of the ARG or in the form of the the immersive theater, when it's truly 360 and, and truly immersive, is that you're given permission to go ahead and absorb the whole volume of space around you and everything that's going on it's like it is this is it's safe to do it because on some level the environment's controlled and they're and if, even if a crazy person shows up and starts doing something insane right. that it's supposed to happen right. so mm -hmm. feel free to like get vulnerable yeah. and open yourself up to what's happening yeah and even on the really light commercial level that tends to manifest like at this this mixer party we just did the way I view it is that manifests as their declaration that we wanted there to be a game to be played, but we don't want anyone to feel like they have to play the game mm. to be at our party. Yeah. Because that then is going to make people who don't want to do that not come to the party next year. So it's like, yes, you have permission to pick up this landline phone, to hunt the tape wall, and to ask the bartender for something that's not on the menu if you want to do that. Or you can just wear your lanyard and talk to the trade show people. Yeah. You fully have permission. You, It's an opt-in experience. They were, I think, and like we always view it from, well, if we can still engage as many people as we want, it's more successful. So they were looking at like, I think they were looking at attendance of like 70 people first and wanted, they said, you know, we'll probably have like 20 people play the game. Wasn't it cool? And then they ended with attendance, I think, of like 120. Yeah. 
and we got 50 people yeah. to wow. play the game. Yeah. So, because like, and they're like, well, we don't, we don't, we don't care if only a small, we're like, we know, but we're going to try to make it as accessible as we can for as many people as we can. And we ended yeah. up with a ton of people playing the game, having fun, get, you know, grown security professionals giggling about their little bugs crawling around the table and... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, and it's uh, like it's all it's all consent. It's all you don't want to make people feel like they have to do something they don't want to do. Um, it's why I don't go to murder mystery dinner parties because I don't actually want to do a murder mystery. I just like to have dinner. <laughs> um, and it's for the consent thing. I always go back to the quote, which is probably older than this, but I always pull from Battlestar Galactica of making your people feel safe enough to be brave. Mm. It mm. probably goes to the battlefield. I mean, the only reason anybody run screaming in war out on a battlefield is because their comrades have their back. Yeah. If they don't feel covered, they can't be brave. And it's the same thing with this. If you don't feel like you have the opt-out, you've opted in, you have a safety net, you trust the people conducting it, you're not going to go anywhere risky. Yeah. You're going to stop. And, and, and if nothing else, in, in these spaces, you need... Uh, because you don't have the walls, like if you don't have like the physical walls of a space, or even you do have the physical walls of a space, you need some sort of thread, something people like hold on to to like help them be brave, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it gets back to like what the this, that social contract in Sleep No More is, you know, keep the mask on, don't say anything, yeah. go to the black masks if you want to yeah. get out, yeah. you know, you may you someone may come and approach you and you follow their instructions, you know, we like my favorite part is like at least when I saw it, it was like. We like you better this way was how I was told when everyone had their masks on. Like right. there was something, there was something charming about yeah. the way that that injunction was given. Yeah. I think that's a stroke of design genius, the mask, because it it does two polar opposite things in my mind. It actually removes your identity in a sense, so it actually breaks up a large group of people. Like whereas if you're with your friends, it actually kind of anonymizes you in a way that you don't become part of a large, active group of people. You're kind of a face. Mm-hmm. A nobody, and at the same time, the anonymity actually gives you also a bit of agency. You can be a bit more outside of yourself because you're safe, you're hidden. Yeah. So it almost does like these two pull, like it like depowers one part of you and empowers another part of you. I think it's like experiential design genius, actually. Like yeah. the mask thing, I love it. I have one around here somewhere. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that uh, it, you were allowed to take yours with you, so... Oh, uh, no! Yeah, absolutely terrible. I'll be going back <laughs> to New York soon. I, I think I'm going to go again, because um, I miss the candy room and the orgy, so, like... Obviously I miss I, that, I, too. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Um, well, that's a, that's a thought, too. So, th- for some of the stuff that you've designed, or, or that you're going to be messing with the design, you know... How do you approach something where you know that people aren't going to see everything, right? I mean, the the advantage of a film is that sure. it's a linear piece of material, sure. and you know, there's a beginning, middle, and end. Unless someone covers their eyes and covers their ears yeah, and yeah. starts screaming, "No, no, 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 no!" Yeah. You're pretty sure that they're going to get everything. So, sure. so yeah, what's the approach there? Um, well, two things. It, I actually really love that you don't get everything. Uh, but that's just sort of that. I, it's like the the artist in me that's like the little raw. I get to yeah, I get to like you don't get everything. Um, my favorite thing when I was in New York and working in New York, and I would go to shows and I would love 
and and it was slightly immersive, but like we're talking just kind of standard New York performance art. I would love the actor who like stayed in character off stage or like came into the audience and was like still doing something mm. and everyone else was like staring at whatever the main action was. But I would always turn and follow that person, especially if they were a friend or an actor that I knew that was like really good and they were going to stay in character and do something that was like going to be delightful. Not everyone got that. Right. And yeah. they like, that's okay. Um, it's, it's part of life and that's part of what in a deeper sense art is, you know, we're playing with, we're representing it, trying to create it in these weird ways. And it, and it makes it so that for me, it reminds us and makes us practice storytelling in a way that when we all have the exact same shared experience, we don't get. So mm. we I recently participated and we do this, um, semi-participate with semi-underground, semi-illegal things uh, in San Francisco. Um, it, whatever. It's, 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 a, it's a theme. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a know, theme of, of, of you know, whatever. Here, yeah. But, but it, was, it, was a, it was a weekend event and completely immersive the entire time. Everyone's doing something in character and things like that. You literally cannot see everything. It will never happen again. There's no, there's no like repeat show. It's the community bringing it for the rest of the community, right? This is like the makers making it for the makers. And afterwards, on the, like, times that we get to see each other, we're telling stories about, oh, my God, I was in this room, and this thing happened, and you're, like, getting to tell the story in a way that when we all go see the movie together, all we can kind of do is then just get intellectual, which kind of bores me, and go, well, I really thought that it was, like, such a stroke of genius that he did da-da-da-da-da. Because yeah. we, at the end of the day, we all had the same experience, pretty much. I mean, right. we can talk about our feelings or what it moved in us, but... yeah. There, well, there's always, like, when, and, like, when we do designs, there's some core waypoints yeah. you have to determine. Like, like, there's, you have to, as a designer, go, okay, especially if storytelling. Sure. Here's the beginning. Here's the end. Here's the occurrences between. This is the, I guess, in, in uh, startup terms, it's like the minimum viable product. Like, here's the... You must do this to do this. You must do this. This is how you must do these things in this order to get to the end. Yeah. And then we can put all this side stuff in, but it's more like a designing a sandbox video game mm. um, where there's a main storyline and then there's all kinds of villages and towns where you can level up doing these things or get these special things or find these little side stories that maybe tie into the main one. But... There's a way to beat the game, and there's a set of circumstances you have to complete to beat the game. And as a designer, we have to, as designers, we have to look at what are the minimum waypoints people have to hit, and how do we make sure they hit them? Like at this, this party, there wasn't a whole lot of superfluous stuff, but it came down to, okay, what are the minimum step points for them to walk through to complete this game, and what are our backups if people aren't getting them? Because we couldn't exactly beta test this. So much of the the conversation does often come back to gaming. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Felix of Punchdrunk talks about how video game influences the the way he goes about this stuff. If we didn't have, you know, almost two generations now raised with games and games having a narrative component to them, would we be seeing any of this kind of work happen right now? Uh, 
Probably? Yeah, I mean, this is... I, I mean, we always talk about lineage, right? I'm a big fan of lineage. But especially in San Francisco, if you start tracking back, it's not too far away that you start seeing a clear line of lineage going back to, like, theater days, to, like, weird interventionalists. In San Francisco, it's, like, us, and then directly back to Cacophony, and then you have Suicide Club and Merry Pranksters and The Beats, you know, like, it, it immediately goes back to, like, oh, The Beats were having experiences, and the way that they were documenting their experiences were through written words, but at the core, they were, like, taking drugs to have crazy experiences, go on magical road trips, and, you know, explore all sorts of, like, post-World War II-like stuff. It was about experience, and that's what it was about. This is just another way of doing it, and we're kind of throwing caution to the wind with the, like, documentation of it, and going, like, I don't really know if that's necessary. It's kind of ephemeral. It kind of had to be there. And, and exploring what that's kind of like when we, like, throw documentation to the wind. Yeah, and even in, in, in standard field games, there's minimum viables. There's, yeah. if I say to you, capture the flag, you know what that game is. Yeah. It's the general skeleton of a team moving to the other side, capturing a flag, and returning with it. That's the minimum viable. What do we need? We need two teams. We need a playing field. We need two flags. That's minimum. We need that, those things. Okay, are we going to save some of the flags? Are we going to allow flag guards? How big is No Man's Land going to be? Is there going to be one? Are we going to hang things from the tree? How are we going to demark the tree? to mark the teams. That's all superfluous, but you know, if we want to throw a capture the flag game, we need a way to split teams and two flags and an uh, area we can split into two zones. Yeah. There's always been a minimum viable, you know, I mean, any field game, like any, like, you know, football, like, you don't just kick an extra point. There's circumstances under which you will do that. It's post this and pre that, and it's just basically, you know, and I think it's ever since... Probably ever since games have been played, there's like a, if you define a game, it's it's the minimum set of rules, or in the traditional sense, there's the minimum set of rules that define the game, and then you work within there. Like we know in chess, the minimum set of pieces, and what those pieces do, and what the game board looks like. Mm -hmm. Do you want red and black squares, white and black squares? Do you want them to look like Star Wars characters, or traditional chess pieces, or Indian, traditional Indian, I believe, is where the yeah. game comes from in a lot of ways? That's your like... Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, then do you want to like... I don't know if you guys have ever played Chess 4, but it's bonkers. It's a four-way chess game. Right. Then you go on that, but the fact is you actually need the base rules of chess to go there. So right. you know what everyone needs yeah. to know how to do to play this game. Right. So when you're, you're building a, an immersive, a narrative experience around a, a, a game structure, how much does... The, the rules of the game need to be conveying the themes of the story? I actually don't usually think from the game perspective, actually. Yeah. As much as I talk, as much as we, yeah, talk, as much about as we it, talk about games, we're actually not like game theorists in that way. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, the way, and with puzzles and things like that, like we do them, but it's like, I think more like if in your regular life the experience was you need to see the dentist. The game is you have to look one up, find their phone number, make an appointment, find their address. Go to that, get the day off of work. You actually end up solving all these puzzles along the way, but the core experience is you have to go to the dentist. 
So these are like, what's the, like, again, like with, with this party, what was the, we're like, oh, there's going to be a secret drink name. You're going to have to find that out and you're going to get a prize when you order it. And it's going to be the only way to get it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. How do we now then make steps and gatekeeping that requires that? With the latitude, mm. it was like, you're going to go be told a story and it's going to be the initiation into a real world secret society. And then this, this plot starts to take shape. And then the game theory starts to come in, in, okay, how long are people going to spend in this room? How can we move yeah. people through this room? How can we give them the cue to open the right door? That's almost like the game design is secondary. Yeah. From our point of view. Yeah. Which is like, I don't like it when people are like, look at this technology. Look what I can do. Now let's do something that demonstrates that. Yeah. Now, I'm more like a, we want to make a secret society. Okay, how can technology supplement that? Look yeah. at the Jiu Institute. It was all about how do we make it where you can go initiate yourself into a fake cult all by yourself? How are you going to find it? Okay. Flyers, phone numbers, a website, a location, a key, automation. Like, those all were the second part. Right. Yeah. Not the first. Right. Yeah. Not the what can we do with an automated room. What can we do to make this experience happen? Okay, here's the tools we're going to use. Right. On a, on a deeper way, I'll tell like a personal story, which is like, uh, I, I grew up playing cards with my family, and the card games that we played were things like Bridge, and they have complex rules and strategies and all these things, and poker... And they're, they're games that do two things for me, and this is where I come from with a game design standpoint, is one, it transcends a sort of, you just do a thing and then you get a thing. Like, that's really boring to me. Like, chess is actually kind of boring to me because, like, I see all the pieces and it's really just, I just have to memorize everything and kind of out outplay you. But with cards, I don't know what you have. There's a bit of luck involved. It's kind of like life. You gotta kind of play with your dealt. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That's just the kind of the way it goes. Mm -hmm. But the deeper thing that the cards are doing is like once we have this shared language, I'm actually like connecting with my family. We're like mm -hmm. talking. Yeah. It becomes like an activity with which there's deeper connection. And it's not about the winning and losing. Like chess becomes this thing where like I kind of get like, I mean, I'm sure if you're a really high chess player and you're playing someone who's equal to you, you also like connect in this like cerebral way but with like cards there's a like heartedness where it's like yeah sometimes you win sometimes you lose what we're really doing is we're connecting we're spending time we're talking about our day we're talking about bullshit i don't really gotta think yeah. too much like it's kind of going or even the deep competitive you know in poker so much of it is about can you psych the yes. other person yeah. out yes. the game of exactly. poker risk we the game, yeah. risk the game does not take place it, on the risk no board. it yes. does not it it's takes not about the, dice no it <laughs> is not and those are the games that we really like dig into and yeah. that's why like video games have kind of drifted away from I mean I don't play video games these days but like it's the sort of thing of like Space Team Space Team we love Space oh, yeah. Team Space, Space Team yeah. is awesome. not about it's flipping not, switches it, on a screen no, no. It's, it's about, about yelling how to communicate a with a room full of friends yeah in a cooperative and chaotic way yeah that's that's yeah. that's where this becomes a tool for connection I, for connection and it's like we don't it's like okay it's like Little League for the most part, <laughs> we do not take kids to Little League to teach them how to hit a ball or catch a ball or run through bases. Right. We take the kids to Little League to teach them about teamwork yep. and practice yep. and camaraderie and being a good sport. 
But if you told them that's what you were teaching them, they wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. So we play baseball. I mean, Rubik's Cubes are really super cool until you learn the algorithm. Yeah. And, and then, then, like, the world record Rubik's Cube people, frankly, is who can twirl their fingers the fastest because anybody yeah. can learn the algorithm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, like, actually just sitting down in a Rubik's Cube and figuring out is really, really hard, but arguably way more interesting than learning the, the algorithm. that yeah. when you go, this is here, this is here, and this is here, I know the order of turns to complete it. Yeah. yeah. And then it just becomes a matter of whose fingers move the fastest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, with poker, you can learn all the rules of poker, but you and I can both know all the rules of poker, and now there's another game that yeah. we're playing. And yeah. that's, and that's like, what that's, and that's and that's the entry, gets, the entry level and to that's the game where it gets, the rules. And that's, yeah. that's where immersion gets fun, is when I'm playing the player, when we're having a human connection, when there's, like, yeah. cool magic that happens. And that's when you're, like, sitting, and we're talking about poker, but, yeah, it's that's... For me, that's when you're playing the game. Well, yeah. and it's like immersive experience. When we did the Jejun Institute, we had a special memorial broadcast. I don't know if you saw that, but it was like a, for the pirate radio station. Mm. We did a special memorial broadcast on the anniversary of Ava's disappearance. Everybody had known where the broad, where the where the radio. They knew how to get the message to the channels we sent out. They knew where the broadcast goes out from, and then we told them to show up. They brought candles, mm. balloons. Yeah. They made ceremonies. Yeah. They that brought the was, game on top of the game. They yeah. embodied yeah. the world. Yeah. We just laid out the mechanics and had world built, and then they built their personas that they lived within that world. That, in a very interesting way, was mostly who they were. Yeah. perhaps who they wish they could be all day every day but the world doesn't really allow that i i remember there was a there, there was a, a friend i haven't seen in, in a while he was one of the people in, in the transmedia scene down in la and he was working on the idea of like a of you know story-driven games uh that were involving some technological stuff uh to kind of tap in with and he was trying to figure out how to how to get the players to like really be part of the world that he was making and I was reviewing stuff for him, and I was like, look, you know, the beautiful thing about, about gamers, particularly role-playing gamers, he's doing this at, like, a, at a LARP convention, and I was mm -hmm. like, is it, you just gotta, you give them very little to work with, and, and they will elaborate out for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you want to give them the injunctions, you want to give them a core set of, of values that, like, this is your character, you know, like, this is, that your character is this goal, these sets of powers, this connection over here, and they'll do the rest of the work for you. If you give them all this other stuff and start telling them an elaborate story, they'll ignore it anyway, and they're just going to look for those yeah. things. Yeah, and when you tell the story of playing a role-playing game, you never tell, so I encountered this monster, and I was pretty sure he was 10 strength, but since I was 9 strength, I rolled these many dice and I beat him. Yeah. The story of the role-playing game is we were exploring this dungeon, yeah. and I encountered this monster. I had just gotten this really awesome sword, which totally boosted my attack strength. Yeah. And I kicked his ass. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the story you tell. It's, yeah. The mechanics are never the story you no. tell. Yeah. It's the world. You, that's role-playing. Yeah. Role-playing is great for that because they've built rules mechanics that then you just literally just tell stories within text adventure games yeah yeah it's a it's a convention you know that you then interact with to tell live, live a story and that's where we try to come from is like the 
what's the story? Right. Okay, there's the story. What is the mechanics? Mm. And and I'd also get to a deeper thing, which which uh, Uriah phrases as the meta narrative, mm -hmm. and it's it's going back to the deeper question of when we we're talking about how people want to affect people and and knock them off their thing, and the meta narrative is asking you as a creator why. The mm. meta narrative is okay. You're playing this thing. You're experiencing this theater piece. You're immersed in it. Who are you at the end of it? As 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 an yeah. audience member, as a participant, as whatever yeah. the thing is, yeah. and as a creator, what is your intention for who those people become? And you're and you're not able to change people. You're you're able to give people an opportunity to change within themselves. What's the story arc of the agency yes. of yeah. the participant? And, and well, we, we always joke like the Candy Crush meta narrative is. I spent thousands of hours playing Candy Crush yeah. and I got really good at it, which is the same as the Rubik's Cube. It's like, I learned it and now I can twirl my fingers really fast. It's kind <laughs> of a boring meta narrative. Yeah. But the poker meta narrative is like, holy shit, like I had this up and then down and this guy totally got me on this thing and now we're friends and kind of whatever and we went afterwards and we got drinks and it was cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, like, it's like, and if I, I think I go back here. You told me about your experience with the Jejun Institute. You didn't tell, you didn't say anything about going in the room. You didn't yeah. say anything about solving the puzzles. You said, I had seen these flyers around town, but then I moved to LA and then someone's like, oh, there's a room and you came back and said, I should go to the room. Yeah. yeah. Like that's the story you just told me. Yeah. You didn't say anything about mechanics other than a little bit of like, oh, the flyer. Yeah. I noticed that. But you told me your story about the. That's what matters to you. Yeah. That was. That's what matters to everyone. And a strong meta narrative is what, as designers and writers, we really think about because mm -hmm. you're, you have an opportunity to, offer people a way to change for the better. And and we've seen that in Jejun. I experienced that through the EPS and we've seen that in the latitude where you offer people an opportunity to become whoever they really truly feel and it's the way Uriah says like you give them the the, the courage to be brave they, they're really like able to push themselves past where they thought they were capable of doing so uh, and that is a really amazing place as an artist to kind of sit and say okay yeah. wh what do we want to really create yeah it's very easy for a lot of people to look at these experiences and go okay so did that work for you? Did yeah. that lag when you swiped your thing? Like, and that's all important. Yeah. But coming out and going, were you scared here? Were you too scared? Did you feel too scared? You didn't do this part. Why didn't you do that part? Like, what is the, that's, it's all about the meta narrative. Yeah. It's all about, yeah, it's all about the and, meta and the And the meta, meta narrative where Uriah and I go back to is, as individuals living in life, what is this project or how is the process of this project going to make us better? Like, mm -hmm. how are we going to grow as em empathetic human beings with each other and with the people that we're, like, interacting with? And that's how we design. Well, I mean, <laughs> we deep. both care. Since the latitude, we've both come to care much more deeply about how we treat participants. Yeah. Mm. About really overthinking, arguably, yeah. how people are going to feel. Yeah. And I can totally, like, swing in a generation and people go, like, oh, man, it's totally, like, you guys are old and you don't know what you're talking about. But, you know, I just, I have to, like, be true to who I am right now. And that's sort of the, like, you know, where where we're going is, is how can the process... Because I saw, as a filmmaker, like, I saw, and, and we kind of come from both traditional art 
backgrounds very quickly that the process of making movies was like soul sucking. <laughs> it was like soul sucking in a way that like I was seeing this thing that I love wrecked and and the crews that were on like granted I had some good relationships and and made some some lifelong friendships and stuff like that but on especially some of the larger pictures it just became this thing where the the meta narrative of us working on this thing wasn't making us like better people like yeah. esse like essentially we were we were just sort of like it became this like grueling thing and you almost it became like, industrialized it became industrialized yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. and and there's something about and and we're at this tipping point in our culture as a whole between the, the the internet's made it possible for us again to have an artisanal culture yeah. and to have it be peer-to-peer -peer and have people connect to it but the the underlying operating system of our culture is industrial sure. mm -hmm. and anything can crank out a product if you use an industrial process yeah but the question of what kind of experience are you creating for someone or you're enabling someone to have, that throws us right back into the human realm, that throws us right back into the artisanal realm. And there's a way in which it's a, it's a luxury on one level to yeah. like have that question and say, like, oh, yeah. where is my cheese coming from? Like where? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we live uh, in a uh, very uh, privileged culture. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a luxury but, in the 21st century, but it was like a standard for almost every other century. Exactly. <laughs> like what exactly. Which, like blows my mind. Yeah. In the 21st yeah. century, it's a luxury for the first world. And yes, we're talking about like first world. Like, blah, blah, yeah. I want yeah. my artisanal bread that yeah, was like the coast of California. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> non GMO and like all that. And I am totally a hippie. Don't get me wrong. Like you would laugh at like all the stuff that I do, but, <laughs> but, it, but it's I funny do. to me because for the mass amount of human history, that was the, that was the standard. There wasn't even a question of it being another way. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what, well, I mean, this is something when I, when I get into like deep trip out mode, you know, I think about the way the industrialization of culture, arced through the 20th century sure. and you know the first place that broke down was in the music industry and now everyone in the music industry you know they they have to go back to touring if they want to make their money yeah. like that's the way if their acts are big enough and yeah. there's definitely there's there's these tensions within like these very large industries that it's like it's not easy for everyone to like right. make their life as a touring musician like not at all but there's this this sort of weird thing where all the stuff of just making making copies of stuff en masse and selling them is no longer a viable business proposition right. so it has to come back to the old ways yeah and the yeah. old ways comes back to people telling stories yeah. to each other or creating things for each other well and especially this field you can't pirate sleep no more exactly right period yeah right you even even and a virtual reality version of Sleep No More would not yeah, no. be Sleep No More. No, yeah, and you, yeah, and you can't, and it's like, I think that's where this, you know, again, acknowledging that this, we're coming from a privileged culture here, but um, the reality is for most of us in this Western American world, even those of us that are scraping by, in the sense of the human experience, we're in no danger. Like, we are not, most of us, in any real animal danger anymore. Like we live in a, and I know there's people in the world that are, and I know there's people here that are, but where we live, you know, we don't really need things much anymore. And furthermore, realize that life isn't about that, experiences are the, are what we're looking at. Yeah. And you can't, you can't, I mean, you can steal those. I suppose you can sneak into yeah. things, but 
but well, really it's like whole, yeah like let's break in someplace and have a party that there's definitely yeah, that yeah. yeah yeah you can do yeah. those things but yeah. like it's really like uh it's it's because it's ephemeral live and exists in reality because it's temporal it's fixed in time yeah you can't record it and have it later a yeah. video of sleep no more it's not sleep no more it's <laughs> yeah. a video it's of, sleep, a video no of more. sleep no more yeah and you can watch a video of sleep no more if you want yeah yeah but it's not sleep no more you have to go to new york and from their commercial standpoint you gotta buy their ticket yeah to have sleep no more and they deserve that they mm -hmm. deserve they i think that they deserve commercial success for that yeah. like they should it's worth it I think we're at a pretty good point here to, to, to wrap things. Uh, so the next question is fully pedestrian. Let's say someone wants to contact you guys and get you to, uh, speaking commercial, uh, design something. How do they how do they get a hold of you? They go to fomalabs.com. That's F-O-M-A-L-A-B-S.com. They can also, if they want to, email directly Uriah at fomalabs.com. That's U-R-I-A-H or Anthony. Yeah. Spelled the way you spell Anthony, yeah. at FOMALabs.com. And we are currently actively and aggressively putting out proposals. We've got gigs coming up. We'll be in Milan yeah. next month Ooh. at an immersive uh, dining experience, mm -hmm. uh, doing narrative design and directing for that. We've also got some other proposals for small parties coming up. Um, but we are still actively seeking out things yeah and and also i'll do the other side of the coin where like the community here in san francisco is very active we also do things for funsies yeah um if you're interested in going down rabbit holes uh you know you can reach out to us and ask us where those trailheads are like i said before standfromelsewhere.com um but we we definitely and I can plug mission permission again. Um, I think we've even like when people inquire like what we're doing and we don't necessarily have a thing. We've even been linking them to No Percentium. Yeah, No Percentium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially now that like Albert's doing uh, yeah, stuff the area, here. Yeah, yeah, area. yeah. But yeah, we're very much like characters around, and you'll find us if you if you know where to look on some of the things that we can't talk about. Yeah, if you, <laughs> if you hear about a weird party in the Bay Area and you go to it. There's a high likelihood you'll see us there. Yeah, either, Labs either is, working yeah. or playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'll I'll use that as an opportunity to do a, a slight follow up. It's like so, and I asked Albert this uh, when I was talking to him because so much of what's happening on the Bay Area is like on the the part of the iceberg you can't see. Yeah, we're so, kind of, <laughs> yeah. The San Francisco Bay Area is like we're kind of like that. We don't like yeah. the very like. It's been almost hard for us to be like, you no, know, people are like, oh, what's FOMA Labs? Can you tell me about it? <laughs> yes, I can. We're a design form. Do you have a client for us? Yeah. The forward-facing <laughs> part of FOMA Labs is really funny because we get tons of like contacts from like people who think that FOMA Labs is a trailhead of sorts to like, a thing. <laughs> and, and like... And like we're like an ultra reality game called I need to keep my apartment. Yeah, yes. no, yeah. No, yes. we're like no, we're like no, we've gone we've gone legit. Like we're not yeah. we're not like a trailhead we're to like a thing. We're playing a game. It's called try to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, like and make this God. thing like legit, you know. Um, it's and, called send us people with money. Yeah, so for all things. those people we're like but there's funsies but happening. But there's cool stuff and we do that yeah. too. But it's yeah. not it's We don't have a game for you. Not yet. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. It, I mean in a perfect world we would Some have venture capitalists would come to us and say, "Could you make a really cool self-sustaining game yeah, for a couple million say, dollars?" We'd, we'd say, say yeah. "Yeah, 
and we'd have like a yeah. forward facing like participant thing, yeah, like so, Sleep No More in San Francisco or so whatever it would be. I guess if do. anybody's running around out there with a whole lot of venture capital and thinks and want to do <laughs> Sleep No More or something like it, latitude ish thing in San Francisco, yeah, yeah. we're your guys. Yeah, um, that's a good plug. <laughs> <laughs> Just giant briefcase of cash. <laughs> if you want to do something weird, we're your guys, basically. And it doesn't even have to be completely legal. No. So. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 uh, yeah. just 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 got to be able to like make the taxes. One of our balance one, out. Yeah, one, one, one of our design things is like if you want strong design, go fully legal, but it's not necessary. <laughs> but it's but inherently it's the, stronger it's the, design. We will yeah. always <laughs> say in quotes, it's the stronger design. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hopefully this will not be used against us in a quarter <laughs> What a brilliant way to end the episode. And scene. All right, once again, I just want to thank Uriah and Anthony for being my guests on the show today. Uh, to Uriah for letting us record it in his home. Uh, this was a great conversation. There were thematic links back to our episode with Albert from a week ago. Um, you know, the, the more the bay changes, the more it stays the same. And I'm just going to leave it at that as someone who grew up there. All right. Next week's episode, it's the crowdsourced one. Now's your chance, everybody. So send in your notes and send in your questions and let's get a dialogue going. Once again, you do that to no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. Um, you can always tweet us at no proscenium. You can tweet me at Noah J. Nelson. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash no proscenium. You can find us uh, on medium, medium.com slash no dash proscenium. That's all the ways to get to us. You can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash no proscenium. Drop a dollar in the bucket once a month. Uh, you, you drop a dollar once and they just keep on making you drop a dollar every month in the bucket. It's so good uh, for you guys to do to help us make the show better. All right. Uh, I hope you're all doing great. I hope you all get out to some fun stuff this weekend. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>